Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So this past week has been, without question, one of the most insane things that I have ever seen and probably will ever see. Uh, It has happened with such speed and such ferocity and just it's whiplash, essentially, is the only way I can describe what we are all going through. It happened so quickly. I remember just about 10 days ago, uh, um, eight days ago or so, uh, in a meeting uh, explaining what I thought may happen and everyone kind of looking at me like I was insane. And uh, and sure enough, it was 10 times worse than I imagined. And um, and we went from, you know, discovering that an NBA player had uh, coronavirus to the industry shutting down, to every industry shutting down, to Tom Hanks, to it's just, it's just been astounding. We now have cities on lockdown. We have a barge on the um, on the Hudson that's a hospital that can hold a thousand beds. We have stadiums being converted into potential hospitals for for the influx of patients that may come. Uh, thousands of deaths globally. Uh, it's it's just it's unbelievable. Um, and I think that one thing that I have that's really been kind of sobering for me in the past week is that for the past fifteen years of my career, I have interviewed experts. You know, I would write stories for the Times and Vanity Fair and write books and and you call someone and you and you interview them and you ask them how something's going to happen, how it's going to play out or what took place and you always always get an answer. And certain times you'll get someone who says, "You know, I don't 100% know, but here's my theory." Um, you never get anyone that says, "I just don't know." And what has happened with the coronavirus when I speak to experts, whether it's doctors, politicians, uh, uh, bankers, uh, people in the private sector, uh, teachers, I mean, just anyone that I've spoken to, uh, epidemiologists, screenwriters who have who've made movies about, about these topics, uh, the answer consistently has been the same, that no one knows. Like, no one knows how this is going to play out. And anyone who tells you they do is completely full of shit. This is unlike anything we have ever, ever seen before. It's unlike anything that we have experienced globally before, even compared to the Spanish flu. It was, this is, the the speed with which this has happened because of the speed of information, um, because of this ability to, you know, fly around the globe at any given point in time, and all of the airlines that were doing so, it has spread much quicker. It has 
uh, it's going to impact us much quicker and and our countries have shut down much quicker. And so uh, we don't really know what's happening. We can kind of guess a little bit, but just, just to be aware, anything you read, you know, anyone that tells you anything, they're just guessing. So you have to take it all with a grain of salt. You have to kind of uh, understand that the things that you're hearing, the things that you're reading, the things that you're seeing, they're, they're all just people kind of trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, and it's going to be a little while before we really know how this is going to play out. I just want to go through some of the numbers with you. I, it's funny. I used to wake up every morning and um, you know check my email and and uh, and look at the weather and and you know read the news and things like that. And now the first thing I do is is go to the uh, coronavirus outbreak numbers and uh, and see how how much it's spread. We're now um, Thursday morning. Uh, it's uh, two hundred and thirty one thousand cases so far globally. We've had almost uh, nine and a half thousand deaths. The uh, uh, the serious or critical health rate uh, where people are on in ICU or on um, you know ventilators or so on is is between five and nine percent depending on uh, the time of day that you look um, we're seeing a massive rise over the past week uh, both you know linearly and logarithmically of both deaths and cases um, what's what's really interesting I think is is and what will be interesting to see in the next week or two, is how different countries fare. And I think the the reason for that is because everyone's taking a kind of a different approach. You have China, which has completely locked down certain parts of the country, and other parts of the country are just normal. I have uh, friends who work in manufacturing, deal with people in China. Their factories are still running. They're still up and, and going, and uh, yet you can't go into certain parts of the country. And it has essentially, if we, if we are to believe the numbers, and I'm not 100% sure if we should, but if we do believe the numbers, uh, they have they have locked it down by essentially locking down part of the country. South Korea has taken a uh, a different approach where you know there are now nine thousand eight and a half thousand cases in South Korea, and the way that they have approached it is by extreme testing, uh, by tracking, um, and it's actually you know they have they have flattened the curve in, in a way that's quite astounding. And I urge you to go and look at some of the ways South Korea has has dealt with things. Um, Italy has, of course, fared uh, terribly in this, uh, and it's devastating to hear what's happening over there. I, I definitely urge you to go listen to uh, the episode of The Daily this week where an Italian doctor was on explaining what it's like in the hospitals there. Um, it's, uh, it, it'll, it'll bring you to tears. Um, there are, uh, as of Thursday morning, uh, 36,000 cases there, almost 3,000 deaths. Uh, on Wednesday, they had the the, the highest number of uh, of new cases they've had to date, um, uh, almost 5,000. Um, you know, we have Iran, which is just kind of continuing on the same path that it's been on with uh, 1,000 or 2,000 new cases a day. They're up to, to 18,500. What's going to be fascinating, I think, over the next week or two is to see how, um, how England uh, fares. England, Boris Johnson decided, okay, uh, we're not going to shut down the country. Uh, uh, we're not going to sh- close the schools. Um, and while you know I have family in England and have spoken to them, uh, there have been a, a run on the supermarkets and you can't really get anything and a lot of people are staying indoors. You know, life is still somewhat going on, and um, and so the virus has had a, a much easier ability to spread. And I think that we're gonna we're gonna really see how how that's played out, and um, it's going to be very informative for how how long we're going to be inside. I think um, in America. 
uh, in England, there's uh, there's only really around 2,700 cases so far. Uh, some of the hospitals are stretched to the limit because those cases are uh, are in specific areas. But um, I think over the next week, we're we're really going to see how that plays out. I, I want to go through some of the uh, the numbers um, uh, for jobs. Uh, one thing that's that that has been so staggering, and my guest today. Uh, is going to talk about this. It's um, it's Kai Rizdal. He's the uh, reporter and host of Marketplace um, and an incredibly smart guy. Uh, he is coming on uh, for about a half hour. We recorded the show on Tuesday, so some of the numbers are a little off, but actually surprisingly not that much. Um, and uh, Kai really is kind of going to explain, you know, what's the difference between a recession and a depression, uh, how this is really going to change the way society works, the jobless numbers, where the money's coming from to kind of send out possible checks, uh, all these different things. Um, but one thing that is just staggering to look at is the national unemployment claims already this week. If you look at unemployment claims over the last you know year or so, um, they've kind of fluctuated a little bit, not much, but around you know two hundred and eighty thousand, two hundred and sixty thousand, two hundred and seventy thousand uh, jobless claims a week, and just this week in just fifteen states, uh, six hundred and thirty thousand jobless claims have been filed. Uh, so that is, uh, and that number is going to be uh, well over a million when all the claims come in. Um, if you look at California alone, you know, uh, last week uh, there were 58,208 claims in California for uh, jobless claims. Uh, and just this week, it has soared to 190,000. Ohio went from 7,000 to 78,000. Um, Minnesota from 4,000 to 50,000. Uh, Rhode Island from 1,000 to 10,000. And uh, and I think that this is really kind of an eye-opening look at how uh how we're going to be affected by this? I mean, if you if you look at if the specific states, what's in, what's terrifying is that uh, even after two thousand eight, when the jobless claims claims jumped as a result of the of the crash, um, they never even remotely came close to this. In in two thousand eight, in Ohio, for example, uh, jobless claims went from or, you know around seven eight ten thousand to forty thousand. Now they're at eighty thousand, and um, in uh, Minnesota, uh, they they came very close to twenty thousand, but didn't really go, uh, didn't really get any higher, uh, and now we're at fifty thousand. And so I think that these numbers are indicative of the fact that this is going to not just be a recession, but likely be a depression, and uh, um, and it's going to change the way the economy looks completely. Um, one last thing before uh, before we jump to Kai is. Uh, one of the things we've been, you know, we've been talking about over the last week is how many people could be infected as a result of this virus and how many people could die. And I just want to put into perspective some of these numbers. Um, uh, I've, been, I've been looking at, uh, at some recent statistics and, and some kind of potential uh, scenarios, and, and I just kind of want to walk through some just to kind of paint the grim picture of, of what this reality could look like. You know, there there's a lot of guesstimations of, of what the fatality rate is for coronavirus. Right now, if you look at the number of cases and you look at the number of people who have passed away, 
it's around 3.4, 3.8%, give or take, on a different day. Um, there are a lot of people who think that the number of cases is actually lower, and while there are around a quarter million cases right now, there are probably closer to you know, half a million or even a million, and that, that the virus is affecting certain people in a much more kind of cold-like, flu-like way. And as a result, um, the... Uh, the fatality rate is probably closer to 1%. But let's just say that that is the case. Um, if the fatality rate was 1% and we only saw a 10% uh, infection rate in the United States, that's still 333,000 people who would die. Um, that's more than Alzheimer's, strokes, diabetes, pneumonia, um, uh, liver failure, all these different things. It's more, more people that die from guns every year. Um, if you were to go to, if you were to keep that fatality rate at one percent, and you were to infect forty percent of the population, which is a very real scenario, um, you would kill one point three six million people in the United States. That's more than heart disease, more than cancer, more than Alzheimer's, uh, uh, and it's more than more than those things almost put together. Um, I think that the the most terrifying scenario, and I think the one that actually made Donald Trump. Uh, really kind of uh, realize what what was happening because uh, he was for a long time calling this a hoax and uh, and saying that the virus was gone and so on and so forth um, is if we get to a 70% infection rate, which is what Angela Merkel uh, of Germany uh, believes will happen globally, um, or at least in Germany, uh, and she is a scientist, so she, she definitely knows what she's talking about. A 70% infection rate with a 1% fatality rate is 2.4 million deaths. Now, that doesn't take into account the fact that if you look at those numbers of 5% to 9% of people ending up in critical care, uh, if, if those people all got sick at the same time and they were not able to get on ventilators, get the right medication, things like that, uh, that number could be much, much higher. And I think that's why it's so important to stay indoors. It's so important to practice social distancing. Um, and I think we're not really going to know, again, coming back to what I said in the beginning here, we are not going to know how this is going to play out in any way, shape, or form for a couple of weeks because this virus has a two-day to essentially 14-day incubation, incubation period where you're still spreading the virus. Uh, for the first week that you are sick, you're not necessarily, you know, on death's door kind of sick. It's not until the second week that people uh, end up in the hospital. Um, it's not just killing people uh, that are elderly or, or putting them at risk. There's numbers out from the CDC today uh, that uh, half of the patients in ICU right now in the United States are under the ages of 60. Um, you have people in their 30s that are uh, you know, on ventilators and uh, been, uh, been put into comas. Um, it, this is bad, and it's not. It's not just affecting the elderly. It's affecting everyone, um, and these numbers are kind of terrifying. Um, one last thing I think that's going to be really interesting to to keep track of over the next week is is Trump invoked. Uh, you know, the fact that he's now a wartime president and. And I think that, you know, one of the things that that does is it allows him to take private industry and apply it to essentially attacking this virus um, and uh, defending ourselves against it. And, um, and I actually do think that it is the best analogy to think of this as, as a world war. It, it is a complete global world war against a virus, not against each other, at least for now. Um, and 
And what can happen in these scenarios, and, and one thing that I've heard floated, um, and you may have seen some, some people talk about this on, on some of the news networks, uh, is that you know one way to approach this um, would be to take all of these industries, car makers, um, you know, air conditioning makers, you name it, and for them to start making ventilators. And there are certain places that are talking about it. GM is talking about it. Elon Musk is talking about it, of course, because he has to get in there. Uh, you know, there's there's all these different places that are, that are talking about it. And I hope that they actually do this because you could. What you could do is you could say, okay, for 30 days, we're going to be on lockdown, uh, where no one's going to go out of their house. Uh, we're going to create. Uh, thousands and thousands of, of masks and, and tens of thousands of, of, of ventilators and all these different things. And we are going to prepare as if we are at war, literally, like we are at war and we're about to go out into the battlefield and we're, we need to be able to get people ready. You could start to train uh, certain doctors that are not specialists. And this is what they're doing in Italy. They're taking the cardiology doctors, and uh, they're taking 10,000 student doctors, and they are making them into doctors. They are fast-tracking their graduation so that they can be prepared for this war. And I think that, you know, the next 30 days are really going to be telling about how this plays out, um, if we can approach it in that same respect. I don't necessarily know if the Trump administration uh, is listening to what the experts are saying in regards to that. I think that there's a little bit of cross your fingers and hope this, hope this goes away, which is not going to happen uh, under any circumstance. It's going to be have to be incredibly proactive, not reactive, which is what the Trump administration usually does with everything. Um, and so uh, I think that, you know, if we start to see those kinds of actions take place, I think we will be much better off. And if we don't, uh, we, uh, we, we might have to start kind of trying to figure out how to make the government listen to that. So uh, uh, next up, we have uh, Kai Rizdal. Um He's going to talk a little bit about the economy. One thing that I found pretty staggering about this conversation, and I do want to say, excuse me for any of the uh, pauses and uh, me not having my questions completely lined up. I was working from home for the first time with my two toddlers here running around trying trying to get into my office as I was recording. So it's, uh, there's a few little interruptions. I apologize in advance about that. But um, one thing that the Kai's point points out, and I think has become more clear since I did the interview with him on Tuesday, is that what is happening right now has never happened before in the history of the economy. Um, it, it is, you know, we've had slowdowns in certain markets and industries, but we have never seen a essentially the markets stop. We haven't seen the airline industry stop. We haven't seen restaurants close globally. We haven't seen trade between certain countries with certain aspects slow down to the degree that it has. And I think that even if we were to fix this virus tomorrow, which is not going to happen, but even if we were, the 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 world has changed, and um, and it has changed in ways that um, that are are going to be staggering to see. There are stores that will not come back. There are industries that will not come back. Um, we are going to see a fundamental change uh, to uh, to society um, as a result of this that we that we will never see again in our lifetime. And um, it's going to fast track certain industries to die that were on their way there already. Um, uh, it's going to uh, make other industries grow in ways that would never have happened before, and it's going to—it's really just going to change the landscape of, of of cities around the world and uh, and the way we interact as human beings. And so, um, it's really kind of sobering to think about that. And so, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Kai now, and um, and we'll see you uh, see you soon. 
Kai. Welcome to the show in this very, very, very bizarre moment in time. I don't even know where to begin. And by the time we finish <laughs> recording this, there will be some other insane thing yeah. that has taken place. Yeah. When was the last time anything like this even came remotely close to happening on a global level? Has well, it ever? Or n- Never. Never. And, and this is the defining characteristic of what's happening now. You know, we have, we have vocabulary for when an economy slows, right? We call it a recession or a slowdown or the economy is sluggish. We don't have words for what's happening right now because the economy is stopping, right? Airlines are stopping. Travel is stopping. Grocery stores and restaurants and bars, they are all stopping, you know? And it's just, it's the most remarkable thing. What, let me just ask a question real quick. There's We have vocabulary for recession and we have ro- vocabulary for a depression. And yeah. some people, there's been all these people talking about, is this a recession or a depression? Is it either or? And what is the difference between those things? First of all, it'd be great to hear you explain that. But well, also, or is it something that we've never heard of before? Well, so look, so, so depression is systemic, right? And it approaches, I mean, if you think about the Great Depression, and it's actually really interesting you raise this question now, because here as we speak, and this is now uh, Tuesday afternoon, so as you said in the beginning, things are going to change. There's a report out on Bloomberg today that Secretary Mnuchin was talking about unemployment levels approaching 20%, 20%, okay? Mm-hmm. Unemployment levels in the Great Depression were 25%. Unemployment levels in the Great Recession were 10%. So that's a really good indicator of the severity of what we are looking at here, right? Depressions are systemic, they are lasting, and they are they are society-shaping, right? In a way that um, recession, run-of-the-mill recession certainly and even the Great Recession are not quite. Um, and that is the scope and scale of what we're looking at, which is unbelievable. But look, if you think about the fact that that Marriott is already coming out and saying there are going to be tens of thousands of layoffs, then you get to a 20% unemployment number really, really quickly. What is the when, – when you get to these numbers really quickly, um, one of the things that I've been so confused about is the way the markets have been reacting yeah. to, to this crisis. I mean I, I, I remember I had someone on the show about two months ago where I asked, like, why haven't the markets reacted to the coronavirus? Right. And a month later, they finally started – not even a month later. I mean it was like th- you know, over a month later, they finally started to do that. And – and it seems like I, – I don't understand when they go up. Is it just that, that – are they only able to see three feet in front of them? I mean, <laughs> the long-term effects of these, it doesn't take an economist or, a, a, you know, someone with a, a – whose uncle went to MIT right. to, uh, to, to, to realize this is, this is a downward spiral. Like, wh- how are they responding? Are they responding because they see something we don't? Well, so the first thing you have to understand about the markets is that they are plus or minus 70% algorithmically driven, right? That's computers executing high-speed trades based on signals that they pick up from news reports and whatever else they're looking at, right? So on a day when uh, the president comes out and says, listen, we're injecting, uh, we've we've got a trillion-dollar stimulus program, here's why it's going to be better and we're going to get this thing under control, then you see markets up 5 or 6%. But when you see signals from companies or from other individuals in the news saying, yeah, we're not quite sure what's going on here. We don't know what our earnings are going to be. Those algorithms pick that up and they trade on that information. So that's the, the, the first part, right? The overwhelming majority of the trades. The other thing you have to factor in here is simply human uncertainty. 
the speed with which this is happening, literally the uncertainty about what is going to happen, because we don't know what this is going to look like in 48 hours, right? Forget about even, you know, this afternoon, right? 48 hours from now, we don't know what this is going to look like. So when you're thinking about the stock market and you're thinking about companies, big and small, having to figure out their business plans for the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, they can't do that. And what you're going to see happening, by the way, is companies pulling what is known as their guidance, right? Every uh, quarter, companies come out and say, listen, we expect we're going to make 14 cents per share, and it's going to be a net revenue of $27,000 and whatever, right? All that stuff's going to be pulled because nobody has any idea of what earnings are going to be. And I think you're seeing that reflected in the volatility in the markets. When you look at the um, the way that the Trump administration has responded to this, it's gone from just even a week ago it was a hoax, and now yeah. you know they're talking about a thousand dollars, giving a thousand dollars to each American uh, to, to help them get get through this. They're talking about um, you know injecting trillions into into different aspects of the government. I have a, a number of questions on this. And the first question is, where does this money come from and how much of there is it? There is as much as we want because we're borrowing it all, right? We are borrowing it all. <laughs> now, one of the really good parts about this thing from that standpoint, right? Let's not sugarcoat this. But one of the really good parts about that is that interest rates are damn near zero, right? Money is basically free. The government can go out and borrow at 10%. Uh, sorry, go out and borrow for 10 years at 1%, right? So the money's basically free. And we're going to be floating a whole lot more bonds to pay for all of this stuff. And the debt and the deficit are going to go up. But that's exactly why you want government borrowing. You want it in cases of uh, systemic failure, which is which is what we're approaching here, right? And it's the same thing you saw in the financial crisis. This money you see the Federal Reserve injecting into the what are called the overnight repo markets, which I don't want to get into, but it's the guts and the plumbing of literally the financial system, how the banking system works. That's that's money that you need to be spending so the whole economy doesn't crash. It's not a trillion and a half dollar debt financed tax cut, which is what the Trump administration did at the end of 2017. So there are different kinds of debt. We are now piling on the good debt because it's systemically relevant. So what happens, you know, I mean, we don't know what happens next, but but at what point do we start to kind of really worry? I mean, I feel like, you know, you like like really a week been... like a week ago. You start to worry a week ago. <laughs> no, seriously. No, but but no, but I mean, if, if I go outside right now, you know, it's only, I'm in Los Angeles, uh, the stores really kind of shut down yesterday. Yep. Um, it, it, you know, they're still doing takeout orders. Uh, you know, people's rent and mortgages aren't due for another three weeks, right. give or take. Right. And so at what point, like, where does it start to crumble? Because if you kind of look back over, you know, previous, and again, you said in the beginning of this of the show, like, that we have never seen anything like this before. But when you do look back to some of the things that are like it, you have a, a rise in crime, you have people that lose their jobs and have nowhere to turn. And, and I don't necessarily think that the Trump administration is going to, they are a very reactive, not a proactive administration right. uh, that, that doesn't think things through until after the fact, and even then, not, not even half the time. And, and so at what point do we kind of, does society, I mean, does society collapse? Does, does, do, do airline businesses just kind of close up shop? Do, is Amazon the only company that, that actually 
is around? Like, what? How does this play out? Do you think as you kind of look at the financial aspect of it? Yeah. So, so let me dodge that question because, frankly, the collapse of society is not something I'm prepared to deal with right now. On <laughs> on day two of my kids being out of school and me having to work from home, right? Um, but but look, here's the challenge, um, and and I'm stealing this from Joe Weisenthal at Bloomberg, who frankly stole it from somebody else. You have to think about this in two parallel time tracks, okay? There is economic time and there is financial time. Economic time is us going about our daily lives in whatever capacity we have. And right now that capacity is hunkering down, um, drawing down our stores of food that we have, right? Using up whatever spare toilet paper we have hoarded, all of that. That is economic time. And, and we can sort of pause that if we need to, right? The problem is that financial time doesn't pause. Everybody has rent or mortgage or some kind of shelter payment that's due on the first of the month. Everybody has uh, a paycheck that comes on the 15th and the 30th, right? Until they don't. And when financial time and economic time get out of whack because people are hunkered down in economic time, but they can't do the work that gets in their paycheck in financial time, that's when things start going haywire. I don't know if the Trump administration and, frankly, the Congress of the United States, Republicans in the Senate, let's be clear, are going to be willing to take the steps that, say, Italy has taken. I don't know if you saw this, but about a week ago, the Italian government came out and said, all mortgage payments, all rent payments, all store rent payments, all of that, they are stopped until we decide they are not stopped. Um, And thus, financial time over there has been paused in a way. I don't know if that will um, work in this country. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Hive. Because um, when you look at the, the way that a lot of it's what's fascinating, I think, for me, is not just the it's almost like from a global perspective, you're seeing kind of A-B testing of what's working and what's yeah, not. Yeah. And you're also you're also seeing the stupidity of most Americans, not most Americans, of some Americans who refuse to stay inside and yep. you know think this is just a kind of a joke. But uh, whereas in Italy, you know, everyone's listening to what they're supposed to do and and, and also many other countries. But one of the things that I, I do think is different is we are a country that is 
is primarily based on capitalism. I grew mm-hmm. up in England where we had a national healthcare system and in France, it's a socialist. It's like you have all these different different instances. And I wonder if you think that the capitalist version, like one thing that was so telling was Trump got up, I don't even know, days ago, however long it was ago, it feels like 45 years, but yeah. he got up there with the, you know, the heads of Boeing and, and, and the healthcare providers and all these yeah. different places. And he is kind of taking the approach of let the let business solve it, and that will keep the economy going. Whereas you have Italy that's taking the complete opposite approach in England too. Do you think one one breaks before the other, or is it we just have to wait and see how it plays out? I, I think well, as I mean, I think that's the name of the game with this thing, right? Is we have to wait to see how it plays out. But I, I guess I would just I, I would I would reframe what you said and and maybe put it in the. Yes, it's capitalism, but it's also sort of that rugged individualism of the American psyche, right? And and that's why you see, you know, all those people in Nashville the other night at that huge party. You see um, people, still young people, going out to bars and restaurants, right? It's, of course I can do this. This is America. I can do whatever I want. And I don't think people have realized, because we haven't had to in this country for a generation or more, have that uh, collective sacrifice which involves real, real sacrifice for the greater good. And I, and I think that's a challenge. I, w- I will also say just parenthetically, I think, you know, first of all, that, that meeting that, that Trump had in the Rose Garden with all those executives was only about four days ago, right? I think it was Friday. So it, it, it feels like years ago, but it was only Friday. I think he did that, frankly, because at that point he was still in denial and didn't really understand what had to be done. So he went through his his corporate base and said, "Here, come stand with me in front of a microphone." When you look at the uh, the there's been the the run on grocery stores and um, and you know I just went to the market this morning and the only thing that's still sitting there is the creamy Alfredo sauce that no one wants and <laughs> lettuce. Yeah. And uh, Brussels sprouts. It is kind of it, how 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 bad must you feel if you're if you're the company that's uh, you know you see the picture of the empty aisle except for like, your product <laughs> and it's your stuff right. Uh, it's your stuff. Um, but, but the, you know, Trump has come out, you know, Gavin Newsom's come out, uh, 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 different people around the country have come out to say, hey, slow down, like food's not going away. Yeah. Uh, our systems are in place to, to, to keep that going. But if, you know, the, but is that true in some respects? I mean, uh, uh, we are granted where a lot of the things that we're buying that are, you know, non-perishable, like, you know, canned goods and things like that. Yeah. Um, they are things that have been sitting in ports. They have, you know, they're sitting in cargo bays from other countries and this, that, and the other. The same with products, too. This is a question around that. Um, at some point, those things are, you know, we're, we're kind of borrowing time from the past to fulfill to fill these shelves. At some point, are we going to run out of things? I mean, I imagine that the folks in Italy that are not going to make their pasta sauces are not going to be able to ship them out in three months, and and therefore those things are not going to come over. And same with certain in certain things coming from China that was slowed down. Uh, how, how does that all play out? This international trade and and things just essentially not being made. Yeah. So two things about international trade. The first is let's remember this is coming on the heels of a trade war, right? And in point of fact, we still yeah. have tariffs on three hundred and sixty billion dollars worth of goods that we import from China. So that trade war is still going on. Um, on on the other slice of international trade in this thing, um, goods are still moving. There will be, a, I think, a a disruption. Um, I don't think food will not become available. I think the shortages you're seeing now 
are because we have fundamentally drawn down our inventories, right? And those inventories will continue to climb back up as things keep being made. There might be less of them made or of, of whatever it is, the pasta sauce or, or, you know, whatever, you know, snacks or treats we make in this country. They will eventually be made again uh, and people will be able to buy them. But I think we're going to have some momentary disruption. I don't think it's going to be systemic at all, though. What are the, if, let's just say that, you know, this goes on. I mean, I, I, this is actually a question for you. H- how long, from the reports that you've read and all the news that you, you know, that you're consuming and the people you're spoken to, is there any concept of how long the economy comes to a stop for, or is it just, we just don't know? No, I think it's, as Mnuchin said the other day, the tre- Secretary of the Treasury, it, it's for a period of time, right? I mean, the government is asking, is directing parts of this government to shut down for a period of time until the curve flattens, right? And and we've seen, you know, those curves of the infection rates, and, and that's what needs to happen. I don't think anybody can rationally put a, a time on this. I don't think Anthony Fauci could. I don't think Dr. Burks could. I don't think any of them could. Any of those people standing up behind Trump, for sure. But so... When you talk about the fact that we've never seen anything like this before, yeah. is there is is there are there economic models for something? I mean, I'm sure someone has thought something like this could happen before. I have friends that have worked on, you know, that wrote the 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 movie Contagion. You know, this is not a, a you know, there's a, a documentary series on Netflix right now about pandemics. Like, this is not something that that we we knew something like this was eventually possible. Is there are there economic models for how something like this? How it, how it breaks and how it gets fixed. I mean, is there, does it completely change how we do business in the future or is it just, we just don't know? So, so two parts of that, right? One is, I don't know what the economic modeling says about the shutdown of the American economy because I'm not sure anybody could have ever imagined it, although some bright PhD student probably did. But I think what you have to remember is this. Once this economy resets and turns around and starts producing and functioning again, There are going to be companies and businesses that you know and I know and anybody who's listening to this know that are gone. The Corner Cafe may well be gone. The sneaker store on the corner may well be gone because they're not structured to take a complete shutdown, right? And this goes to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, right? Financial time. Your rent is due. And if this lasts three months and you've had no customers for three months, you can't pay your rent, your business doesn't get to continue. Right. And that's why such emphasis is being put by the Trump administration finally on this trillion dollar bailout package they've gotten, most of which is hopefully direct loans and grants to people so that they can buy stuff and people can protect their businesses. Uh, On the other part of this, though, about um, what's the modeling, uh, I'm going to I'm going to take it sideways. I had a conversation with Max Brooks today that we're going to put on Marketplace in a couple of days. Max Brooks, of course, is the guy who wrote um, World War Z and also the Zombie Survival Guide. And we got him on the phone because, first of all, I'm a fan of his books. I don't do scary zombie movies, but I do his books. Um, <laughs> and and he has said that his books are not um, uh, horror f- movies or books. They're not comedy. They are self-help books or how-to books, because we have a society, and these are his words, we have a society that is engineered for comfort and not for resilience. And I think that's the challenge here, right? We are now being pushed out of our comfort zone and having to become self-reliant and develop a sense of resilience. And I think that's going to be the challenge for this economy as we get going again. I've been following you on Twitter uh, 
for a long time, but this week uh, you've been kind of the the person I've been going to to kind of under, try to understand the economic implications of all of this so much. Uh, it's just, you know, there's so much out there you don't know and don't understand and mm-hmm. it's just happening so quickly. And, and you, I think it was yesterday maybe uh, someone had tweeted something about you know, by the end of the week, will we will we know if this is a recession? And you said um, uh, it is 100%. Oh, yeah. um, at, at what point do we know when it's a recession? At, at what point do we know when it's depression? And what point do we know when it's worse than that? So the official answer is that it's going to take a little while to actually know. There is a group of people that gets to decide when we're in a recession or worse. And it's it's a group called the Business Cycle Dating Committee of the National Bureau of Economic Research. And they look at the trailing data and they say, okay, this is when unemployment went down. This is when consumer confidence went down. Boom, we are now in recession. And just to give you a sense of the lag, it was March or April of 2008 before they came out and said, okay, the recession started in December of 2007. Okay, so it's going to be a little while. Uh, And then, you know, they're not going to call it a depression or a great recession. They're just going to say this was the end of the previous expansion, right? That's the very dry clinical term for what's happening, right? The expansion is ending. We are at the end of the longest economic expansion we have had in this country, 11 years. Um, So they're the ones who get to decide. And then how deep it gets is kind of out of anybody's control. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. When you uh, when you kind of look at all the talk to all these folks and and uh, I can't wait to listen to that show <laughs> the World War C guy because <laughs> yeah. it makes complete sense. Uh, um, when you talk to all these folks and you you hear about these things that are in the works, um, one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about this week, and I think and I, I truly do believe that Andrew Yang deserves you know ninety nine point nine percent of the credit for this. Yeah, interesting. Is right? Mnuchin yeah. coming out there? Uh, Talking about giving a thousand dollars to to every family is every family or every person. Every the, person. Every, every adult, person. Every person. So, if that's the case, does that slow this down? Does that slow financial time, or is a thousand dollars not enough? And does it go away the second that you know we start to go back outside again? Like, how does that play out? Right. So, so look, I think it's important to draw this distinction between Andrew Yang and what's happening now. Andrew Yang was a thousand dollars a month for every person. Right. The government plan now is a thousand dollars once, right, to get through the immediate squeeze. So it's important we not conflate what's happening now with what Andrew Yang proposed. Um, and thus, fundamentally, it, it goes away. Will it stop financial time? No, because it's a one-time deal. Financial time stops for nobody, man. When you uh, – last few questions for yeah. you um, uh, before we let you go. But when you look at the the way this has kind of unfolded in the past few days, uh, and it's, it's kind of been whiplash, yeah. you know, there's – we. There's a lot of, you know, there's some jokes and it's like, you know, especially on social media and and people are trying to make the best of it and and, and so on. When, is there a point 
when you look back at like the 1920s and the Great Depression and so on, is there a point where people start to panic, really panic, not just about toilet paper, but there's runs on the banks or, you know, yeah. things like that? <clears throat> yeah, so that, that's a really good question because this was floating around out there uh, a while ago. This is not yet a consumer financial crisis, right? You don't actually have banks failing. If you remember, and look, this happened to my bank, which was then Washington Mutual. We literally had banks failing, and J.P. Morgan bought Washington Mutual for pennies on the dollar. But I was not among those lining up because I remember that my money is federally guaranteed, right? You have the FDIC. Bank deposits for individuals are guaranteed, so that's not actually a problem. We don't have a, a consumer financial crisis quite yet. I don't frankly think we'll get there because all the people who are in charge now remember the financial crisis. Um, so I don't think bank runs are a thing that's going to happen. I think what we really have to worry about is the lasting effect of parts of this economy shutting down, you know? And then that becomes uh, not a credit crisis, not a financial crisis, but it's a demand crisis. It's a consumer demand crisis that the government is trying to fix by sending everybody a check. So every year we all get those alerts about the new jobs numbers in in the United States, and every quarter they've they've been up. They've been you know one hundred and eighty thousand, two hundred twenty thousand new jobs, uh, and when we see the impact of the coronavirus and how quickly it has happened, will we see the jobs numbers plummet immediately in in the next jobs report, or will it be um, will there be a, a, a massive decline and then the following quarter? Uh, it'll be just uh, devastating. How's it going to kind of play out as we look at the numbers uh, and then the amount of, of jobless claims? Because when you when you look at a recession, which is ten percent uh, job declines, and a depression, which is twenty percent, um, it doesn't feel like we're going to get to that twenty percent instantly. Uh, it, it, will it be gradual? Will it happen? You know, like the snap of a finger. Is the next quarter going to be negative? Oh, yeah. Oh, for, oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. We will have lost uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs, right? The next jobs report comes out um, first Friday of, of April, whatever day that is, right? And it will undoubtedly be enormous because the almost the entire month of March will have been consumed by this. Something to look at before that, and this podcast will drop on a Thursday, so there will be a number out this Thursday morning called First Time Claims for Unemployment. And that's going to be a real tell as to how bad it's going to be. It's usually around plus or minus 200,000, 300,000 first-time claims for unemployment, people making their first trip to the unemployment office, right? I, you could see that spiking, doubling, easy, easy uh, in, in the next report, for sure. I think the April jobs report, the monthly report, is going to be um, terrible, truly. When you are watching all of this and you're, you know, reporting on it on a daily basis and um, there are certain companies that feel like they're actually going to kind of do so somewhat well in this. There's Amazon, for example, yeah. um, you know, there are the makers of ventilators yep. and medical equipment. Is there a world where where those companies actually, you know, their stock and their value goes up dramatically while everyone else is just plummets? Well, I, I suppose. I mean, you know, the, capitalism is capitalism, right? And and uh, that's that's kind of the name of the game. Sorry, I'm just I'm stalling here because I'm looking up Amazon share price right now and just to it's, see what it, they well, did. Well, it, it's it's kind of bobbed up and down. It's like you right. know they they went up ye yesterday because yeah. they announced a hundred thousand new jobs, but yeah. it's still falling with the market. Um, right. And right. It, you know, 
but but at the same time, like you know, I wouldn't put money into anything. Not that I have money to put any, anything, but like yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be. Put, but at the same time, it's you know, there's certain people that I've heard say, oh, um, Amazon stock's going to be through the roof. Um, uh, but I, at the same, can it be in this in this kind of climate? Can it still be? Can it still rise that much? Yeah, of course it can. Right. I mean, you know, capitalism is capitalism. Ju- ju- just like the floor is zero, the upside is is basically unlimited. Of course, you know, with with leverage, the floor can be below zero. So you know, anyway, that's kind of a technical answer. But of course, it can go up. When you um, uh, when you look at, at at where we are today, I mean, granted, Thursday is going to be dramatically different. Um, at what point? Will you start to get nervous? You actually sound quite calm about everything, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, On Twitter, you sound a hell of a lot more nervous um, <laughs> uh, in, in words. Like, at what point do you, you know, at what, at what point do you start to kind of say, this is, this is going to, is there, is there, is an indicator in the, in, in a, uh, the markets in, you know, is there anything that you can look at that is a number that is something that we should just kind of, be worried about yeah so i'm i'm gonna hang my hat on the jobs numbers when they come out the first week of april that's the thing to to keep an eye on look i i I have to be completely honest with you i um i am able to look at the markets and look at all of this chaos and and i'm going to sound flip when i say it but it's really the truth my wife handles all of our money and so i have no idea if she went to cash a year ago whether we are up to our elbows in leverage i couldn't tell you I have no idea, and it's better that I don't know. Um, but look, it, it's really important that I be clear. This recession is going to be really hard. It's going to be a deep recession. The only question is how long it takes to turn around. I think fundamentally, by the way, that since the economy was relatively strong going in, once we find the bottom, it's going to be relatively strong coming out too. But nobody should what make any mistakes. What do you mean mistakes. by that? Well, I think we're going to have decent, we're going to have, we're going to have, we're going to have a, a, a short but deep recession. That's my guess, right? That's my guess. Whether my guess is worth more than anybody else's guess, I, you know, I don't know. Do you think that they, when you, one thing that's really interesting is about two, I mean, it's been the last couple of years really, but you know, essentially the end of 2019, there was a, uh, and this is a two-part question, um, th- there was a huge push for, um, to, to essentially regulate these tech companies, right? Yeah. You know, let's go after Amazon. Let's let's go after Facebook. You know, Google and so on and so forth. Right now, if it wasn't for these companies, we'd we'd be screwed. Quite frankly, like yeah. we'd be sitting oh, at home sure. twiddling our thumbs, not able to watch Netflix or or talk on <laughs> right. social media or, or or get toilet paper delivered, even though you can't actually get toilet paper delivered right now. But um, do you think that this goes away? If, you know, if if and when we come out of this, that 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 the talk of of regulation goes away for these companies? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because look, these companies are going to be bigger and stronger when we come out of this, right? Amazon is going to be bigger and stronger. And Netflix is going to have more people watching and chilling. And I think just the same way the calls for regulation of banks hasn't gone away, even though they've gotten bigger and stronger, I think the same thing is going to happen with with these companies. And at the same time, another aspect of this question is, you know, over the last year or two, we've we've been having these calls for, um, you have these workers for Uber and the delivery drivers yep. that, that drop off our food and so on and so forth. And the fact that they don't have health insurance and they don't have, you know, any, any security in case of job loss and and which is now happening to them. Yeah. Uh, do you think that this will give the government or, or frankly, these companies 
more pressure to actually change the way they employ these people or well, does well, it look, just... I mean, you'd hope so, right? Because, and I don't know where I saw it on Twitter today, but somebody pointed out that these, you know, the Uber, the Uber drivers and the Uber Eats folks and, you know, the people who are making the deliveries of the toilet paper that we can't buy, they are in many ways in this phase of this crisis, the first responders, you know, um, for consumers mm-hmm. who are locked in their homes and societies that are largely self-isolating. Um, these are the folks who are getting us what we need. And, and one hopes that as we come out of this, there will be some recognition um, of that essential function that they have come to serve. Uh, you know, I don't know. All right, last two questions for you. The first yeah. one is, and I know you're not a financial planner, so uh, uh, it's your, maybe you can ask your wife, but <laughs> one of the things that I've kind of struggled with a little bit is like, I'm a writer, I'm still getting a paycheck. I work from home, I have done for, for many, many years. Yeah. Is Do I have a, like, I, there's part of me that wants to go out and keep, you know, and keep, stimulating the economy and like getting food delivered and, and, you know, thing, anything that I can do buying, buying a, a a new sweater on Etsy, you know, but should I, is that the right thing to be doing or should I be saving my money? Cause I could be laid off in two months. Um, how do you like, what's the advice on, on how to deal with that kind of question? Yeah. So I, I, I have no advice to give. I have my personal perspective and that is this, you protect yourself, but you do well by others. And if you can buy a sweater on Etsy or buy a, even if you can't go to a restaurant for dinner, buy a gift card at that restaurant and then go in three months and spend that money there, then do that, right? Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, any any parting parting sage words of advice or thoughts from, from this whole thing as we, uh, as we wrap up? No, I just think, you know, as hard as it is, you got to know what the news is, but I think really you don't have to know what it is all the time. Just check in once or twice a day and then... You know, take care of yourself because it's, look, this is, as I said, this is day two for me with the kids home from school and it's already brutal. And, and I, you know, we're uh, all in yeah, this together, man. It's, well, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that advice back around on you and tell you to get off Twitter for five minutes every day. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. But, Thanks, Nick. But I, but I need to follow you to know what's going on and with yeah. all the, uh, the uh, financial news. So yep. thanks, Kai, so much. I really you appreciate bet. you taking the time today. You bet. Talk to you soon. Thanks to my guest today, Kai Rizdal. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thank you, of course, to my lit- listeners. I know this is a very difficult, troubling time. But, you know, try to try to read something that's not the news every once in a while. Go read a book, watch a movie, play with your kids, learn to play piano or the flute or something, uh, and wash your hands and stay indoors. Uh, I'll see you all next week. And if you are watching this video... Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. 
because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.